0: Hey guys, um, you know, when I was uh, growing up, I, I really appreciated Jesse's uh, testimony. Um, I'm sure that noodles never tasted better than that moment right there. Um, but I think we all were kind of, kind of uh, with the people who disrupted our lives to bring us the gospel. We can remember with great, great clarity what that was like, um, as it was a, a turning point for all of us. For me, growing up in the church, uh, not a part of the church, uh, but, you know, in the church, geographically, I was located there, um, most Sundays, Wednesdays, and other times of the week. Um, I always knew that I was supposed to become a disciple. I always knew, knew that I was supposed to get baptized. And so when I turned 13, I studied the Bible because um, that's what you do. And uh, it's also smart to avoid mom yelling at you, um, at least in my situation. So uh, I studied the Bible. Uh, but one of the things um, that really helped helped me was the last week before I got baptized. That February 14th to 21st, that week uh, there uh, was a, a week of great clarity for me and a week where I really began to understand and see uh, what it meant to be converted. And there's a lot of different thoughts out there about what it means to be converted and what, that, what actually takes place um, at conversion. And it was a Tuesday night when I studied the, the Bible for the final time before getting baptized. And it was at that, that Bible study that um, I said the words that I thought I would never say, which are, how soon can I be baptized? Um, and I said them and I meant them, which uh, also scared me uh, that, I, that I got to that point with, with authenticity and um, with a genuine heart. But I was encouraged. I was encouraged to, just like Paul, perhaps, to make sure I really uh, uh, meant it. It's the biggest decision one will make in their life. And so on Tuesday, I was encouraged to fast. And so for three days, I fasted from food. I was 14, so as I look back, I was like, wow, amen, fair enough. A 14-year-old with a weight problem, so pretty impressive. Um, fasted for three days uh, from food. I did drink water. Uh, and I also fasted from media, so no TV, um, music, or anything. The only kind of media that I, that I took in uh, was anything spiritual. Uh, and my mom and dad just happened to have a whole wall of, if you remember, these K&N videos. Yeah. Uh, which are pretty cool. Maybe we'll bring some back um, and show them. But I just watched all of them all the way through. One of the, one of the videos, that actually Jenny and I, we have all three versions of Upside Down, which is a, a play that the church put on years ago uh, about the book of Acts. And one of the things, in, uh, one of the lines in one of the songs uh, in the play um, is at the, when they're singing at the day of Pentecost. And they're singing and they say the line, what's the matter with you? Why are you looking so strange? Are you scared of the water? Or are you scared of the change? And I remember that very clearly. Because I, th- I remember thinking, that's, that's what it is. It's not the water. And though many of us, perhaps, have been engaged in discussions on baptism, uh, that's not really the issue at the end of the day. Uh, even the people here, as we'll read in Acts chapter 2, don't struggle with the baptism premise. They don't, they don't wrestle with it. They seem to accept it quite easily. But it is that, that, that word... Uh, it is the call to change that is so, so, so difficult, not just at the day for all of us on um, the decision in the week and the time surrounding our decision to get baptized, but for the rest of our lives um, to make this decision to change. And change is not easy. And if you can hop over to Acts chapter 2, that's where we'll be today. We finished uh, the book of Philippians, which is awesome. And the reason we wanted to look at Acts chapter 2 today is that today is the day? Uh, there's not many days we know for sure in the Bible. like we don't know when Jesus was born. December 25th seems it's like a good day. We all kind of uh, you know submit to that for the most part. Uh, but we don't really know when he was born. Uh, we do know this day. We know the day of Pentecost. It is a day of utmost importance in the Bible. and this is why the genius and the brilliance and the planning of God is so overwhelming is that today is the day that he always planned would be the day to bring in the kingdom, to usher in the new covenant. Pentecost is just a Jewish festival. It's a mandatory festival. They call it the Feast of Weeks. It's when they bring in the harvest. They bring in the grain. Uh, and it's a day of joy and celebration. It's a huge festival. Imagine like Christmas for us, except imagine if all Charlottesville came together and celebrated Christmas together. And just joy happened. I mean, even beyond Charlottesville, people from Nelson County came in. People from Fluvanna. People from Harrisonburg came in. And they all just came in. There was just all these people. And perhaps, if we were really being realistic, and actually what they're doing here, it's actually people from other areas that don't speak the same language. So they're all coming in. They all don't speak the same languages. And they're in this same place here in Acts 2. And in Acts two one, when the apostles are together, it says a great wind came about them. A great rushing wind. Now, why is that important? Well, you guys know... Spirit of God, the word spirit means literally breath or wind. And so the spirit of God is just wind. Uh, it's just it's this idea. Even when Elijah, he hears the rushing wind there in First Kings, I believe it's 18 or 19. Uh, and so the, the spirit of God comes down on them and they begin to do what? They begin to speak in different languages. And it's kind of amazing because it would be just as incredible now uh, if Monique Scott just started going off in fluent Mandarin, like beautiful Mandarin, and Jesse, you know Mandarin. And Jesse's like thinking, that is good stuff. Like, she's, it's not like just conversational. She is like swinging with it. She's flying. She's going through. She's got like a kind of a deep knowledge of Mandarin. That's incredible. And Jesse might be, that's amazing. And then in other situations, people just start speaking different languages. And then, you know, as we know, it's kind of easy to point out who the Galileans are, as Peter knows too well uh, there from the, the encounter with Christ. All right, the crucifixion, where the little girl's like, "Aren't you a Galilean? Because your accent's pretty thick." And so, so we know that they're going. Hold on, aren't these Galileans? How is it that they're able to speak Mandarin, Swahili, Portuguese, French, and Russian? Oh, you know, and that's not really what happens. They speak languages from North Africa, Italy, and um, the Near East. But it's just as incredible. And they look around and they're amazed at what's going on. In Acts chapter two. In verse 5, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, that's the sound of the wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these folks Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, And Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. They're speaking Italian over there. Both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans, Arabs. They're speaking Arabic, Aramaic. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. You know, in the uh, play Upside Down, they say it's only nine in the morning. Even the Romans are sober at nine in the morning. (laughs) No, this is what God Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Remember, what just happened 50 50 days before this is Jesus died. What happened that day? Darkness covered the whole land. Verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. Now, what's Peter saying? He said there's all these scriptures about how the descendant of David Will not be allowed to suffer death without being raised from the dead. He's saying this scripture is not about David. This scripture is about someone else. How do we know it's not about David? Oh, his tomb is just over there. You can go check it out. And it's, his body's definitely decayed. Like, he, he did not rise from the dead. Now, what's also cool about the day of Pentecost is it's the date of David's death. Uh, and so, you see, all this coming together, and David was this great Messiah, this, he was supposed to be this great deliverer of, of Israel, and one of his descendants would come and deliver them. So you're thinking, if you're a Jew, you're thinking, oh my goodness, today, Pentecost is the day when Moses comes down from the mountain and gives the Torah, gives the law to his people, the covenant, he establishes the new covenant, right, because what happened 50 days before that? Well, they were, the Israelites were saved from Egypt with the lamb, the lamb's right in the blood of the lamb. It's all coming together. It's incredible. So in the same way that a new covenant and an old promise was fulfilled, now on the day of David's death and the day of the old covenant uh, being given is the day of the new covenant being given. And it's through the guy who has the keys to the kingdom now to give everybody, not just salvation as God's plan was in the Old Testament, through one people, but now salvation for all people. And it's a beautiful, incredible day. And as Peter delivers this message to the people in verse 30, he says, But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father The promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You know, are you scared of the water or just scared of the change? Uh, The title of my lesson today is A Heart in Tatters. Um, And Peter comes out, and this is the first sermon. Imagine if you were asked to bring in, to usher in the new covenant, the new kingdom of God, that would be, be pretty scary. All right? It's uh, scary enough to like, public speak in front of just a few people, let alone to bring in the kingdom of God. What is it about this sermon that's so incredible? This is the first one of the new covenant. This is big time. This is huge. This is Peter ushers in the era that you and I now live, under the new covenant and the new plan of what it is to be saved, and what it is to follow Christ. This is the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. You know, Jenny and I actually were able to be here. One of the things that's incredible um, this is the southern wall of the temple, and this is where Peter would have stood up. You can get up there. You can't really see in the shadow, there's a person standing with their arms. You can imagine Peter just getting up there and saying, Listen, listen, listen to me. I can explain what this means. You're confused because everyone's speaking languages. And hey, by the way, we're not drunk. We're not say this is not out of order. This actually has a purpose. And if you just listen, I'll tell you what that purpose is. Everyone quiet down. You can imagine people kind of shushing everyone to listen up to this guy. He's going to walk us through what in the world is happening. And he, and he, he begins to preach this message. And like we'll read a little bit later, a lot of you know what's going to happen. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people, about 3,000 men, probably a lot more women, uh, who decide to get baptized. And uh, it's pretty incredible to be there. These steps are still there. Um, it's not as popular as the western wall of the temple. But this is the southern wall where Peter probably addresses the crowd. And one of the things that people have asked or wondered is, well, how do you have 3,000 people get baptized? Like, where, was, where would the water be? Uh, you know, and so Jews were not un, you know, unaware of baptism. They actually... Um, in order to become a Jew in the first place, you actually had to go through a ceremonial baptism, a ceremonial self-cleansing or a washing in a mikveh. And these are mikvehs, and they are literally as far as the eye can see. If you stand on the southern steps of the temple, you just see mikvehs, because as a Jew, you'd have to actually go through, wash yourself if you were to approach the temple. And if you wanted to convert, you to. if you're a male, get circumcised, you have to obey the food laws, and you have to go through a ceremonial washing. So, what's cool about it is, you can see. I could just imagine thousands of people getting baptized here on the southern steps of the temple. That would be awesome. I mean, we're we're excited when there's like one baptism after church at the river, and we all go over there and you speed there, and you, and some, sometimes you're a little bit late and you miss it and you feel horrible because you're like I missed it. Ah, oh, man. But we, you caught the last song, so you like you step in. I've been redeemed. Okay, you hop in that last verse, but you're like I missed the song. But it's exciting to go down to the river. It's exciting for the baptisms. We love those things. We share pictures of it. We celebrate it. It's a, it's a rebirth day. It's a spiritual birthday that we celebrate every year. And just imagine how awesome it would have been to be here and see 3,000, hear this message, and get baptized in all of these mikvehs, And how, what a special day this would have been. It probably would have been a really important day because 3,000 people had their spiritual birthday on the same day. So every year, uh, it was probably just a lot of encouragement cards and things like that. Uh, but, amen. Fair enough. This is actually what it would look like with, uh, with water in it. We've talked about these things before. Uh, it's important to a Jew to be baptized into living water, water that moves, because water that is standing still is dead. Uh, and so the mikvehs actually were all running water. Uh, and so this is, this is important for a lot of reasons. This is important to us. Um, not so much in the in our baptisms. I was baptized in a jacuzzi. Although the, the, the jets were on, so maybe it's living water. Um, this, I don't know. Who knows? Um, but it's pretty cool to actually just imagine it and see it. And just even to go there now and kind of say, wow, this is where it all happened. This was the day. This was day one uh, that really occurred uh, with all of these folks here. And so... When we talk about what this means, and so you might say, man, this is really nice, Drew. Uh, This is good historical stuff. But what does this really mean for us? And how can we really take this and apply it and really put it into our lives to this day? Uh, Because frankly, uh, it's nice photos, but you're kind of losing me and it's kind of boring. Oh, nice. This just in. Beautiful. Okay. Got the, uh, well, we'll save that. (laughs) Um, And so the question is, what does this really mean for us? And listen to, listen to what the people actually go through here. They hear that the Messiah, that they've been waiting for their entire life, not just their entire life, for their grandparents' entire life, not just their grandparents' entire life, for generations, not only came, but he's dead. So it's over. Their chance, they've missed. Uh, and they even kind of have this response, this kind of hopeless response of, what do we do now? What, what's, what's the next step? Uh, it's not exa- it doesn't seem like good news, right? Oh, this Jesus who's going to deliver us, he came and uh, you killed him. I don't know about you, but I would feel like maybe judgment was coming. I would feel maybe like pain was coming, like God was going to punish me somehow for what I had done. But Peter says something incredible in verse 38. He says, repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for everybody sitting in Burley Moran in 2018. For all whom the Lord our God will call. This is a very thorough promise. And it's meant to be able to shine light in every corner of Satan's accusations toward us. But one of the things we have to take a a good look at is this word repent. What does it really mean to repent? This is the challenge. That's the line, right? Scared of the water or scared of the change. Repentance is just to change. It's to be transformed. It's to transform yourself. Repentance is incredibly difficult. Repentance is not popular. If you remember in Acts 27, Acts 26, 17 actually, when Paul preaches repentance to the Jews, what do they try to do to him? They try to kill him. When he tries to, so he was he was preaching a lot of good stuff, and you probably noticed that on campus or at your high school or with your coworkers. Oh, I go to a church. That's very nice. Uh, it's cool that you have a church. Oh, and we serve the poor. Very very nice. Oh, and we love inclusion and tolerance. That's very nice. I love inclusion and tolerance too. And but here's the thing. You know what? I was. And this is what this is actually what affected Jesse. If you noticed, what affected Jesse? I used to be this way. I used to be a drunk. I used to talk like this to my wife. I used to just live for myself. I used to actually live. The best thing in my life was the weekend. Now, man, I'm part of a church where I'm loved. I'm part of a church where I love these people. God loves me. He's helped me see what compassion is, what truth is. I live boldly. I don't live by fear anymore. I live like putting my life out there at every turn. I I share my heart with people. That was not who I was. That's what actually affects people, but it can either cause them, a, 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 oh, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Or they can say, oh, that's nice for you. But the second that that brother maybe says, hey, Jesse, how are you doing? How's your life? How's your walk? And this is not, by the way, just for those who are becoming disciples. It's for all of us, too, that are, have already become disciples. This is difficult. I mean, this, is, this is discipling, right? Is how is your life really going? How's your walk? How's your behavior? It's, and, it's, and we don't want to go there because we feel a whole bunch of things. And in a lot of ways, our heart is full of defensiveness and security. And if people try to help, sometimes we bite their head off. Sometimes we get defensive, um, like they did in Acts 26, when Paul says, actually, this is who I used to be, but how about you, actually, you guys need to change. You guys need to repent. It's then that they try to kill him. Because it's not just today. It's definitely today in our more and more private and individualized world. But back then as well. You don't tell me to change. Uh, what does it really mean uh, to repent? Metanoia has to do with this idea of you used to think one way uh, and you used to feel one way. But now you think and feel a different way. That's the idea. It's not just heart. and It's not just mind. It's both. It's heart and mind reorienting. It's finding true north. It's heart and mind finding what really matters. Okay? This is someone before uh, conversion and before repentance. And probably the best way to describe it is like um, pre-Copernicus. Before Copernicus, everyone thought that the earth was the center of the universe. That earth, the, or the earth was all that really mattered. That we were the most important. That the sun even revolved around us. That everything revolved around us. And that's who you are. Pre-conversion. That's you. Me, stuff about me, my stuff, stuff I hate, and others down there. in In the outer orbit. Right? And whether we admit that or not, and whether we dress that up, and whether we hide behind a bunch of extracurricular activities to assuage our guilt, this is who we are. That we are innately living for ourselves. This is who I was. And I went to church more than you did, I bet. I was more righteous than you were. I did stuff. I was In the Bible studies, after they ended, I typed out a multiple-page response of how I learned and how I was going to change in the future based on what we read and gave it to the guy studying the Bible with me. Did any of you do that? (laughs) You didn't. I did that. Okay? But I was still here. I was still there. I went to church. I helped people. I prayed with them. I... But I was still living for me. Jesus was not Lord of my life. Jesus was a bit of a part of my life, but He was not in charge. I was not revolving yet around Him. I still thought, no, He revolves around me, and I pull Him in whenever I need Him to be there. And especially in today's culture where certain things we think, yeah, I'll pull Jesus in as it's appealing. I'll pull Jesus in... Uh, I'll invoke his name when I serve the poor, but I won't invoke his name in my parenting. I'll invoke his name uh, when I'm being loving, but not when I need to reprove someone. I'll invoke his name and we do it, right? And we, he's not Lord of our life. We don't want to give up those keys and we, and we look like this. This is why repentance is so incredible. It's a cosmic shift of mind and heart. A.W. Tozer says that the greatest obstacle to living the Christian life is what he calls self-trust. We might say self-reliance. But the one who is self-reliant can never repent. Uh, the one who maybe decides to repent, but over time becomes more and more self-reliant again. Uh, they, they don't see a need for God. The greatest insult to God is, I don't need you. Why is not reading your Bible a sin? Because you're saying, I don't need you. It's pride. Why is not praying a sin? Because you're saying, I don't need you, is pride. Why is alienating yourself from the body of Christ a sin? Because you're saying, I don't need you. You're pushing away God. And you're saying, in fact, I am God. When Paul goes to Athens in Acts 16, what does it say? It says they have all these idols. and In fact, they even have one that says to an unknown God. And Paul's like, you're worshiping what you don't even know. You're not aware that you're worshiping these deities. But what you don't know, I will now proclaim to you. Now I say this, and this is the world, and this is us. This is a a great struggle for a lot of us. Is me. It is self focus. It is self-trust. And I think that the struggle probably here with these people are two things. Number one is they laugh at Jesus. Uh, Earlier on in the chapter, what does it say when when the power of God comes down from heaven? Says they laugh and say, Ah, they're drunk. They don't even take it seriously. Uh, That's ridiculous. And I think for those of you today who are sitting here uh, reluctant to listen to Christ, reluctant to repent, reluctant to have a Bible study where you talk about the real things, you are laughing at Christ. You're saying, you're saying I could be giving and loving and forget about it. It's ridiculous. You're crazy, Jesus. You're crazy. You're saying that I'm going to actually want to do good. You're insane. I'm the worst. Have you met me? I could never do that. I could never even make that happen. You're saying that you're going to actually forgive all my sin? Ha! You don't even know my my sin's horrible. I've done so many things. You could never love me. Forget it. Ah, It's crazy. And you could scoff and laugh and reject Jesus. And then you begin to live a life enslaved to fear. Other people, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're saying, no, I actually do listen to Christ. I, I, I don't laugh Him off. At least, you know, implicitly or explicitly. But what I what I do is I get hopeless. You know, the people who say, "What do we do now?" Right? What shall we do? That's really a heart of them saying, "Like, okay, what now?" I mean, it's it's as bad as it gets here. Jesus uh, was the Almighty, uh, encapsulated, uh, Trinitarian God in the flesh, all powerful, omnipotent, and He's dead. It's over. You blew it. You had a chance, and you blew it. Oh, and it wasn't just like some random killing. It's your fault. You killed him. You killed God. And you didn't just kill him. You put him on a cross in the most embarrassing way possible, and you abandoned him. You know what's amazing about Peter is that Peter's saying all this. Did Peter not do it? It's 50 days later, guys. 50 days. Peter also understands He did it. He was the one who said, I don't know him. He was the one who followed at a distance. He was the one who was worldly and pulled out his sword to try to kill to protect Christ. He was the one who was supposed to be the leader. He was the one who, who lied, who said, I will die with you and did not even go with Christ. He was the one who did it first. But I think there's the key, church. It's not just about Seeing who Jesus is, is we've got to feel cut to the heart. It's got to be something that moves you. And Peter was moved 50 days ago. This guy would not stand up to an eight-year-old girl. He was scared of Lydia Pearson. He was afraid of her. He ran away. He lied to her. He called down curses on himself. I don't know the man. He's a wimp. He was self focused. He had a jello for a backbone. And 50 days later, he is preaching to thousands. He is calling them to repent. He is bold as a lion, he is confident. He is not saying, Hey, you sin, I sin. We all sin. If you want to follow, we meet on Sundays. It's, if it's convenient for you, um, I know you're busy church is nice no that's not what he does he says god came brought jesus he says scripture he's ready to go and he challenges people and he gives them the message what changed in 50 days for peter he was cut to the heart yeah he was cut to the heart it moved him that's a hebrew a greek idiom cut to the heart what does it really mean other versions say you know acutely distressed it really just means acute emotional distress When's the last time you were emotionally distressed about what you did to Christ? We get emotionally distressed about money. I do. It's easy. Finances stress me out. They always stress me out. It's like my quickest trigger. That and car problems. Car problems and money, and they're kind of connected. Or computer problems. I've got to stop there. It's a few things. Computer problems, car problems, money. And I... I lose it, I get angry, I get you know, I get frustrated, you know, but I don't I don't know that I get emotionally distressed about what I've done to Christ. And notice it's not in a oh I'm I'm the worst and I killed Jesus, let me ah oh, shucks, let me go hide in my room and bad drew. That is not what we're talking about. Because Peter is fifty days later, he didn't he didn't stay in the room, he came out, he said, It's in my past, he did not let his past dictate his future. And he realized that Christ's love is bigger than his past. And it's not his distant past. It's his recent past. It's like last month, bro. Would we listen to somebody who came up a month later from massive struggling, like renounced the church and left and talked bad about you. They come back, but he's saying, listen, it's not about me. And that's the mistake we make, too, is repentance is not about you. If you think repentance is about you, you're still there. That's still, you're still me, me, me. You're the me monster. Everything's about you. How often do you use the word me or I when you talk? Is it a lot? Because that might be you. It's not about you. Repentance is about seeing Christ. It's actually about reorienting yourself. You know, when a building is oriented, when a church is oriented, you know what that means? It means the, they, they, they face the church with the door facing Jerusalem. So that's where we get the word reorient. To reorient yourself is to actually realign yourself. I want to actually get a, the, the right focus, the right perspective. I want to head the right direction. It's not about you. It's about seeing Christ. But we begin, because I think we get hopeless, and we think that it is about us, and we say that I don't think I can do this. You're telling me to repent, but I can't. We, talk, we have language like that. Yeah. Because we talk like that, then we get hopeless, and then we get really good at, you know what? Going through the motions. You get really good at playing church. I was good at it too. I used to mouth the words to the songs on Sunday. I didn't even want to sing. And I, I remember lying a lot. I, was, I remember coming up with a way to confess without actually confessing. I remember a way to share enough of something to, my, to people in my life to get them off my back. But then actually not tell anybody. I remember sinning. I remember looking at pornographic Issues, images, videos on the internet When I was a young, a young teen man And I remember thinking about how to confess it In a way that actually got me some credit I was, act, you know, that, that I was really trying And it was a really hard day And I really did my best And that was all a lie I sought it out I got the URL from a friend at school I went home with the explicit purpose of looking at it But I formulated a way To confess it so that mom and dad Said good job Drew That was my heart Because I knew the game. I knew how to get accolades from people. But when I came to church, I didn't feel anything. I didn't think. I wasn't filled with, I wasn't cut to the heart. It wasn't until that last week, February 14th to February 21st, 2003, when I saw the cross and what I had done to Jesus, where my heart was pricked. In church, our our hearts shouldn't be pricked just once in our whole life. This has to be a continual thing. And our hearts get hard over time. And they start to look like this. And we try to band-aid it. We got real uh, fissures in our heart. And we say, if I just go to church, it'll all go, it'll all be okay. Hey, coming to church is great. But there's gotta, we got to get to your heart. We got to get to each other's hearts, church. And that's not going to happen with six people trying really hard in this church of 85. It's got to be 85 of y'all doing it. Yeah. It's going to wear those six out. Yeah. And they're going to get bitter at you. You don't want to be bitter at you. This only happens, church, if we all strive to help each other. And it begins with denial of self. What if one of you decides to deny yourself in church today? To decide to go up to someone to fellowship, even when you don't want to? What does that do to them? Well, they think, man, that's encouraging. That really helped me. I'm glad that they did that. You know what? I wish I could do it. And then it's, it's, it's infectious. Right. But if we all start thinking, what's best for me? Then It dies. The only way that we can actually have that heart, and this is the beauty of it, because the world teaches this. The world teaches selflessness. The world teaches, you know, help each other, be nice and all that. But they do it, they say, do it for you. Do it for your own self. Now, we're not doing it for ourselves, we're doing it for Jesus. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. No deceit was found in his mouth, no sin he committed. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore your sins in him on the cross, so that you might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 2 Peter 2:21 2, It's not about us. He left us an example letting us see that He died for your sins so that you would die to your sins. You don't have to die for your sins. He did. But what what He's hoping is that you're so shaken up by His love for you that you would die to your sins. And the reason that you would fellowship with the guy sitting by himself or the sister by themselves, the reason that you would go to an event this week that you don't really want to go to, or the reason that you would get help in your marriage or get help for your kids, whatever. The reason you would is not because of us. Because Jesus left you an example. And that Jesus entrusted to himself over to one who judges justly that Jesus was selfless even in his death. And that we've had that example for our own selves. We get really good at playing church. We get really good at being superficial. Let's see if the Scripture's next. It is. This was my... Uh, I love Joel. Joel's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It was my uh, scripture on my letter jacket uh, in high school, this scripture here. Um, One of my favorites, Joel 2.12. Yet even now, the Lord says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your garments. I love this. If you grab the NIV, it says, rend, rend your hearts and not your garments. This is actually uh, whom Peter quotes today. you notice that? He quotes Joel. Joel is the big prophecy guy. Joel's the Pentecost uh, 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 Old Testament pr- uh, prophet. And even back then, years before, what's the problem? You know, when people would sin, what would they do? Ah, I sinned. Let me tear my robes so everyone can see that I've sinned. You can see that in a lot of, you know, in the Passion of the Christ. When uh, Jesus says, uh, yes, I am the Son of God, and you'll see me coming on the clouds of heaven. The old high priest does what? He tears his robes. Ah, I'm so, my heart is torn. Everyone look at what I, I just love God. I'm awesome. It was outward, right? It was a way to show that you are feeling it. Joel says, listen, I see that you're tearing your clothes. God wants you to tear your heart. God wants you to. God cares about your heart. Because your, the heart is the seat of emotions and thinking. The heart, Your heart matters. Paul says, uh, you know, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after I've preached, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Paul realized, I could preach. Church, I realize that I am at risk of going to hell. I could preach this sermon, go home today, and I'm at risk of sinning. I'm at risk of betraying God. I am at risk of doing all these things. And then still, my heart is hard. My heart is jaded and my heart is given over to the evil one. And God says, listen, rend your hearts, not just your garments. Are you going through the motions, church? Are you superficial? And maybe you aren't meaning to. I know we do care a lot about that. Uh, But ask yourself this really tough question. Are you just going through the motions? Do you go to a devotional just because you know you're supposed to? Uh, Do you go to church because you know you're supposed to? Do the optional events the church has, they don't make your list because why do optional things? Why would I do that? If the church does something that you don't want to do, do you not do it because you don't want to? Um, If a friend needs you, but you don't help them because of fear of inadequacy, or you really only like people that are going to help you or benefit you, or... Have you allowed yourself to become egological again, egotistical? Have you allowed yourself to be self-focused? Have you got, are you just going through the motions? Now, this is not an easy thing. And I'm not saying every day, this, is, this would be emotionally exhausting if every day, you know, you woke up and we're like, I feel the Lord, you know, like every morning, like I just filled with all these. I mean, it's, it's hard for me. You don't know have to do, to, you don't know have to do. I have to like sing three songs, go on a walk, pray. Then I struggle with that. Then I pray again. Then I listen to maybe a podcast on a sermon. And then I listen to a couple more songs. Uh, and then I pray again. And you know what? After an hour, it was hard. I'm not sure that I really even prayed when I'm, when I'm, when I'm feeling. I just, it was, it, was, it was difficult. And so I'm not saying that every day I'm not good at this. I'm not expressive. I'm not, you know, Mr. Feely Pants. I'm not that guy. I'm not, I just feel the Lord today. I, I don't like that. I don't like those things. I'm not, I'm not that guy, okay? And so it's not easy for me. But here's the thing. Repentance is not about my conduct. Repentance is not about my performance Am I reoriented toward God or not? Are you, what are you focused on? And that's the challenge today, is shifting from the first, the first goal is, is your heart in tatters? Is your, are you cut to the heart? Is your heart in tatters? Because then you won't stay there. You'll actually shift to what really matters. And that's the goal. is that you're, First of all, how's your heart? Is your heart solid as a rock? Yeah, I sinned, so what? Yeah, I did that, so what? Are you, are, is your heart hard? Do you really see what Jesus did for you? It will, it will take time. We cannot throw uh, pebbles at this tank and hope that it, it, it'll render it you know, useless. We have to match it with the same amount of firepower. Yeah. And church, I think this is a big one for us. I think we spend a lot of time in the things that we care about. And we don't spend the time. There's no, there's no substitute for time with God. There just isn't. I wish I could preach a sermon today and you could be like, wow, that counts as eight, you know, scripture, uh, spiritual hour points with God. And now I'm recharged. Now, these things are nice. These things are helpful. And we don't have time to read the whole book of Acts. But Notice what they do right after. What What do they do right after this? They devote themselves to the reading of scripture, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devote themselves. These people are Italian, North African, Saudi Arabian. And you know what? Who knows if they even are... Maybe the, maybe the, the language thing faded. I'm not sure if they were still conversing in these languages or not. But they're there. And they're together. And they're devoting themselves to these things. It says they even sold their houses and set the money at the apostles' feet. Can you imagine that? Here you go. Just for a church. These people, their lives changed. They had issues. They had problems. Keep reading the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, they, get, they die. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, there's issues that go down. It's not about your performance. And I, I think you've got to really know that. Do you know that? Do you know that? You have to say something eight times for someone to remember. That's what they say. Do you really know that it's not about your performance? It's about are you reoriented toward God? Are you focused toward God? Are, have you died to your sins because he died for your sins? Is that mindset done? Uh, The last thing I want to mention, it's about noon here. The last thing I want to mention uh, is it's personalized. You know, we do personal Bible studies. Uh, Sadly, I think we stop uh, being as personal after someone gets baptized. And then we get defensive again, don't we? We're we're okay with it in the Bible studies, the seeker studies. And then all of a sudden it gets difficult again. We get defensive and pride doesn't just go away like a beaten dog. Pride swells up again. And I don't think that we allow it to be personal anymore. And uh, God forbid somebody volunteers, volunteer something personal to say to you. Um, because you're just going to... Here comes Hurricane, you know... Uh, what's, someone's not name in the church. Sally. Hurricane Sally. Um, someone's name popped up in my head. But she's not a hurricane at all. She's incredible. So it wouldn't have worked. But she still might have felt insecure. Um, And uh, a friend of mine once, uh, he was, you know how Joe's kind of a common name? Joe, like, you know, front row Joe or, you know, know, Joe. He he was a guy in his church. He just kept saying Joe. And the guy was so mad at him afterwards. He was like, "What's, what's wrong with me? He was like, no, I just meant Joe like a person, like somebody out there, like Joe. But he, anyway, he was really mad. So trying to learn from that. Sally. No Sally's in the room. Sally. Here comes Hurricane Sally. But I think we have to allow it to be personal again. Um, We have to continue to make time for each other and continue to allow it to be personal. That means inviting each other to rebuke us, inviting each other to reprove us, inviting each other to edify us, and by asking for advice. You don't have to take all the advice you get. It'd be overwhelming. I get a lot of advice. You can't take all of it. But what you can do is you can get it and you can pray about it and you can decide. Did you even get the advice? I think is really the issue. Not whether you took it. Did you get it? Are you actually seeking out advice? And actually considering it, and not just you know checking off the boxes, in church I, I really believe that this will destroy us—the self-trust, the self-reliance. We can't just let it be at our baptism day. We can't just let it be back then. You know we got we ha- it's, it's a process. When you get this when you get when you get baptized you're a baby. If any one of us said to Rosalind Smith or Christian Schaefer, "Good luck out, good luck out there on the street. You'll be fine." I mean, they would be insensitive. They wouldn't last, right? They wouldn't make it. And no baby would. And a lot of us think we get baptized and we're good to go. I've been baptized for a month. And you know what? I'm good, man. I don't need anybody's help. Devo, ain't going. Bible Bible studies, uh, quiet times, maybe. To catch me on a good week. Church, let's not lose the heart that began the kingdom of God. Let's not lose the heart. And Peter's the perfect. Why is Peter Jesus' guy? Because he's a perfect example of grace. It's not like, I will choose the perfect. No, Peter was messed up. But Peter's saying, listen, it's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's about grace. Here's the thing. They killed Jesus. You killed Jesus, right? You sinned. You killed Jesus. I expect judgment. I expect destruction. I expect pain. What do we get? The gift of the Holy Stinking Spirit. We get forgiveness of sins when you deserve to be beaten god gives you a gift when you deserve to be punished god gives you his holy spirit when you deserve pain tribulation god gives you a hug the beginning of the new covenant is littered filled oozing with grace it is just full of grace and I just want to encourage all of us today, do not let Satan accuse you. Do not let Satan get in your heart and say, man, that sermon was rough for you. You really got to go fix it this week. No! Satan, get out of here. Tell him. Get out of here, Satan. Don't be in here. It's not about that. It's about are you, is your mind focused on God In your heart? Are you giving it your best? Are you, If you mess up, amen, it's okay. Did you, did you, you know, were you in, uh, with the little Lydia Pearson? Were you kind of a coward? Were you, were you uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anybody? (laughs) No one said anything, really. (laughs) That's something. It's like one of those uh, Mad Libs, right? Put the word in. Um, But maybe you messed up this week. You probably didn't have your quiet times the way you should. But I just want to encourage you, church, it is not about that. It's about being cut to the heart, and it's about refocusing, reorienting, and focusing on all that matters. All it is is allowing God to be the center of the universe. Let the sun do his thing and be the center of the universe. All you got to do is just not fall out of orbit. You got to just let him be, let him have his gravitational pull. You will be fine. Let him be the sun. But if you try to be the sun, it's not going to work. We got to let Jesus be the sun and there's hope. Christ is bigger than your past. He is bigger than your future. This is the most thorough plan of salvation you could ever imagine. And you know, what he does is he empowers us to be bold. You can go out today and share your faith. You can. And they could kill you, but it wouldn't bother you. And I think sometimes some of us, we become afraid of death again. And I think if you're afraid of death as a Christian, you're missing out on what it really means to be a Christian. Uh, Why are you a Christian? Like, why are you so afraid? I I won't get on a plane, or I won't drive, or I won't... A lot of us, we have these things, these fears of dying, but we're Christians. I don't get it. You know, the reason that Paul and Peter were able to preach the way they did is they believed what they were preaching. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in Jesus. And not that, oh, if I die, I'm just going to come back one day. They believed that what they were saying was worth death. We cannot, and Bobby's probably going to touch on this, you know, in Acts Three and four, we cannot help but say what we really believe. So I'm not going to go out and say, hey, you guys better go talk to people because it's not going to work. I think the real thing is, is do you believe it? Do you, are you cut to the heart? When you're cut to the heart, you'll share your faith. Yeah. When you're pricked, when you're acutely emotionally distressed, you'll, you'll, you'll share it with somebody. You'll invite someone to church. And I want to close out with a, with a hymn by Charles Wesley. This will be the last thing I say. You're like, yeah, right keep saying that. So three or four more hymns and then we'll close out. Uh, On the day of Pentecost, you know, it says that they, uh, when they had the Holy Spirit in them, tongues of fire, it looked like tongues of fire. Um, And so Charles Wesley writes, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love upon the mean altar of my heart. There, let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gift in me. Ready for all thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat till death Thy endless mercies seal, and make my sacrifice complete. Amen. Let's not be reoriented. Let's not be oriented to ourselves, but toward God. And let's go from a heart in tatters to all that really matters. Amen. I did just want to announce, singers. Is okay? Yeah, it's fine. I just want to announce our total uh, for a special contribution. And so today's the day of Pentecost. It's a day of celebration. It's a day to uh, celebrate what God has done. And so we just wanted to be able to announce this to celebrate. People can always give. If you get, don't, don't let Satan accuse, like, oh, it's over. You know, it's, it's giving to God. You're giving us first and foremost to God. You can give next week. You can give next month, whatever. Uh, but we just want to say thank you to all who have given. Thanks for the generosity of the church. This money is going to go to uh, local missions. And so we just want to thank you for all that you've done to sacrifice. People giving 20, 25 times their regular contribution uh, in some cases, and uh, it's, just, it's just incredible, and we just want to thank the church uh, for, for all the giving. And uh, Jenny and I are grateful to be here. We love being here. We're grateful to hire Seth and Amy and bring them on in the fall for the first time ever. This money's going to go toward helping that. Uh, and so we just want to say we love you guys. We're grateful to God. We're grateful for all that he continues to pour onto us and give us uh, immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, and so uh, with that being said, okay, I just noticed... So I got, where's Vicky? There's Vicki. Um, I think this is, so your total, is that from uh, recently? Did you talk to Paul recently on that total? Because he gave me a different total a few days ago. All my total is just Brad Jackson Cash. So okay. He might have given you a total. Basis. Beautiful. That's what I needed to hear. Okay. I'm going to cut the recording at this point. If you're listening on the podcast, <laughs> praise God and thank you for hanging in there.